Dennis, we had a lovely time talking about weeds over the last couple of times, actually. And uh, chickweed made the news oh, uh, last week. It and did, you've got did. a little story to tell us about uh, chickweed. Our program last week was a bit left field. And I spoke about chickweed in the context of uh, a useful uh, substance to feed to birds. In a moment, I'll tell the culmination of, uh, of what le- what happened as a result of that. Do you wish to mention the book first, Dennis, before oh, we go to our first That's a great idea, caller? Jane. Um, it, it came to me as a result of, 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 of doing these sessions on so-called weeds, uh, many of, of which are medicinal plants, that I should make sure that interested listeners have something that they can draw on and use themselves when they're in the field by way of identifying many of these plants that we've been looking at. And uh, a book that we that I used as a lecturer in, uh, with Southern Cross Herbal School and uh, as a lecturer in the, uh, the um, herbal therapies course that the university conducted in, uh, in Arimba, a text we used was entitled Field Guide to Weeds in Australia by Lamp and Collett. I'll say that again. A useful book for listeners who want to have something uh, to carry around with them, so to speak, to help identify many of these things that I hope we've stimulated your interest in, so-called weeds. The book Field Guide to Weeds in Australia by Charles Lamp and Frank Collett. Now, I've brought that, uh, or brought the book in today, and it's on the website. And so if listeners uh, want details or to have a look at the, the, the book, go to the, uh, our website. It's there, and I would earnestly encourage listeners who are interested in this topic of seeing many so-called wayside herbs being more than just weeds. They are medicinal herbs in many cases, sometimes foods, and uh, we should know about them, learn about them. Weeds, as I said last week, should never ever be despised. They have multiple purposes and we would be much sorrier if we got rid of all the weeds in our environment. There you go, I've preached the message for the day, Today's Save message. the weeds. Uh, we'll yeah. move on to another okay. weed, probably, yeah. although we're going to talk about chickweed again. Okay. But uh, George has rung in from New Lambton. George, mm. you've got uh, something to say about last Friday's weed, which would have been chickweed, I believe. Yes, hello, Dennis. Hello, George. How are you? I have got this problem for years with this itch. Yes, 24-7, yes. mainly from the navel up on yes. my body yes. and in my ears, in my scalp. Yes, dear, dear. And when it comes on, it ruins my quality of life. Oh, dear, I, the doctor yeah. sent me to an expensive uh, anti- diagnosis um, to a... A dermatologist. A dermatologist, and he was very expensive, and his equipment that did no good. Um, they reckon I've got amyloidosis. Amyloidosis. Oh, okay. Yes, yes. And, and, and have you been treated, George, successfully, or are you still battling with it? No, waste of money. Okay. Even dermatologists okay. can't get rid of it. Okay. And as I say, when it when it's on, it's my quality really of life is no good. Okay. <laughs> so this chick last week, I was interested in your 
talk yes. about the weed last week. Yes, yes. Well, that's good. George, last week I spoke about a so-called weed, which in fact, uh, as you would have heard me say, is a very important medicinal herb. And, and the name of that herb or weed was chickweed. And I spoke about it uh, from uh, the perspective of its many uses. One use that chickweed lends itself to is a useful topical agent, particularly as an infused oil. Now, an infused oil, as I mentioned last week, is a traditional, well-defined uh, oil preparation in, in which the chemical principles of chickweed have been dissolved, and that preparation has been used by medical herbalists uh, for many, many years indeed, as a potentially useful agent for addressing particularly the irritation or the itch of many conditions. And there has been a lot of interest shown in that with people uh, coming into my rooms and asking for information, etc. on it. Uh, George, look, you live at New Lambton. I'm going to suggest that you go to my rooms and there'll be a bottle there for you to try free of charge and um, use it uh, when and if the condition asserts itself, always with a topical application. Do a patch test first. The, the, the herb is usually very, very acceptable. Uh, go in, tell them who you are. I may be back at my rooms before you come, but there'll be a small bottle there for you to try, uh, just as a gift from the station. See how you go. Uh, we're not promising anything, but you're not getting very far, and you spent a, a lot of money, seemingly, Let's see what you can do with just some infused oil of chickweed. Yeah, I appreciate your help. This is terrible, the yeah, itch. Dear, dear, dear. Well, look, that's a start, George. That's a start. Um, there are many natural substances that, in my opinion, are, are being overlooked today uh, as, as a way of um, easing itch conditions. In fact, I would say that the 40 years or so that I've been in practice in my opinion, I have seen a diminution, a lessening of, of knowledge of some of the older remedies that were used particularly to address what's called pruritus. I'm disappointed, for instance, that a lot of the, the pine tar products and the oil of cade products, which were the basis of many topical applications in medicine and pharmacy years ago, are seemingly uh, being overlooked with uh, stronger topical applications, particularly the corticosteroids. Uh, try the chickweed. If you don't have a lot of success, go to your pharmacist, and you've got, we've got some good pharmacists in New Lambton. Uh, talk to them about pine tar products. They may help also. And Health Naturally with Dennis Stewart today. Uh, it's 25 past 12. And Dennis, you wanted to tell us a story that uh -huh. came up during the last week about chickweed. Oh, chickweed. We covered a lot of area last week when we looked at this remarkable weed, and you'll notice I'm emphasising weed. A weed is only a weed to those that don't understand something of the characteristics of it. But I mentioned it as also a very useful feed, particularly for finches, canaries, and I mentioned also, I mentioned also um, the way in which when I was breeding goulians, and I had many of them, and breeding them in a, in a modern form, that the, the Goulians would go berserk when my dear wife and myself fed them regularly with chickweed. And uh, that together with um, eggshells, freshly crushed eggshells, I'm sure led to the success of my breeding. But 
A dear lady saw me yesterday in my rooms and said that she still breeds, or had been still breeding Goulians, but they bred so successfully, so successfully, that she took out the next boxes. And I put a lot of that down, perhaps, to the success of using chickweed as a feed to promote their fertility. But I said to a dear lady... I said, put the nest boxes back. I said, these birds are rare. She said, oh, no one wanted to buy them. I said, you breed them, I'll sell them for you, and we'll both do well. And there's an example of a lady listening to our program when we're talking about a medicinal herb that was also a feed for the wonderful Australian finch, the Goulian finch, where it had been fed and successfully, I hope, uh, was associated with the prolific breeding capacity of her Goulians, if she's listening to me and she listens to the program, I would say, dear lady, follow up on what we said yesterday, put the nest boxes back in the aviary. <laughs> <laughs> Let nature take its course Absolutely. with a little bit of chickweed. Yeah. And another comment on chickweed comes from Bonnie from yeah. the Central Coast, Dennis. She's rung in to say that she's been using chickweed for... Uh, for liver spots or old age spots yep. on her skin and they fade after four or five days usually. Sometimes need a second mm. application. Yep. That's not too bad, is it? That's not too bad at all. And, and, and uh, most of us, as we get older, uh, and many of us are old, uh, develop these so-called uh, old age spots or, or liver spots. And it was interesting the other day that I, I have a lot of... Um, mail order things coming uh, into my place and my wife and daughter continually scold me for the way in thing the way in which they think I get sucked into purchasing things online most of which they claim uh, have no use whatsoever but anyway I noticed in one of the magazines that uh, there was a product also uh, a Swiss product uh, a pharmaceutical product that was promoted and making claims for the removal or relief of this. So what might seem to be a little bit over the top with it's already being recognised in products in the marketplace, particularly overseas, that there are substances that can harmlessly seemingly interfere with the development or the presence of these things. Now, if this lady has done well by using chickweed, um, what I would say is it's probably better to use it as the infused oil which would be a more hygienic way and a way that would permit the ongoing use of the oil, uh, of the ongoing use of the herb. If the dear lady has done well, Bonnie from um, the Central Coast, if she's done well, I would encourage her, because of the safety of chickweed, to contemplate making the infused oil of it. Um, keep it in your, uh, well, in your household, in your medicine chest or whatever, and draw on it. it. It's very stable and can be used to continue this fading work, which this dear lady has said has uh, occurred as a result of her using uh, the chickweed. So there's another example of this How remarkable... Good it is. Look, yeah. it is. It is. Yeah. I told uh, listeners last week of the success that uh, a dear, dear lady, a graduate student of mine and myself, had when we manufactured the chickweed ointment um, in her little farmhouse at Narara. That started, in my opinion, the revival of interest in chickweed in the naturopathic profession um, many, many years ago. It's a remarkable substance. Dennis, uh, Anne has rung in from Hamilton. Yes. Um, Anne, you've got a question about psoriasis that you suffer from on your mm. scalp, yes? 
Yes. Um, it seems to be getting worse. I've tried a little bit like that gentleman previously. I've tried every lotion and potion yes. under the sun. Dear, dear. Uh, and um, I just wonder what your views are in relation to diet whether you think, you know, eliminating all those nightshades and things like that that I have tried actually, you know, help or not. Oh, and, so, and I'd like to say that yep. after 40 years I could conclusively say that, uh, yes, going off this or going off that will, will get rid of psoriasis. Many, many years uh, down the track, I would, would, would say that this is a very, very difficult condition to treat and uh, the dietary management of it, in my opinion, might be a little bit simplistic. Now, I'm not knocking it. If people do well with it, that's fine. But I have consulted many people who have tried everything, elimination diets, uh, going on to a particular program, and still this difficult condition, probably one of the most difficult skin conditions to treat, still occurs. I, at this late stage of my career, I'm much more pragmatic and full back on addressing the problem with uh, well-defined, well-documented botanicals, uh, that is, herbal medicines recommended in reputable text. Now, I emphasise reputable texts because I don't want to simplify uh, the treatment of psoriasis herbally by just throwing around or try this or try that. If one is going to address psoriasis using natural remedies, particularly herbal remedies, there are a couple of things that should be taken on board in. The first thing is that if you go down that pathway, you need to go down that pathway for quite some time. Taking immunosuppressant medication, um, because this is a, a, basically a, a, an overactive immunological condition, uh, you've got to be prepared to work with a herbal medicine approach for quite a number of months before you're likely to see anything occur. And secondarily, the herbs that you do embark on um, should be those herbs that a pharmacist, a compounding pharmacist, or a medical herbalist knows about herbs that are defined, particularly in lip literature, which I've mentioned on this program for years, and in particular, the British Herbal Pharmacopoeia of 1983 which I refer to as the Bible of modern herbal medicine, there are a bracket of herbs called up in that text and dosages associated with them called up in that text. So if you're going to treat psoriasis by, uh, how can I call it, uh, a food approach, a nutritional approach, a herbal medicine approach, a vitamin approach, A, be, be prepared to embark on, on a journey for some time and secondarily, make sure that what you're using has been defined in, in reputable literature and a basis to their being prescribed. So having, having said that, let me just say that uh, psoriasis is one of those conditions, and I think I mentioned this last week or have mentioned it on the program before, psoriasis is one of those conditions that has shown response particularly to the application, the topical application again, of chickweed products amongst others. I think I mentioned the case of a, of a young lad that I treated in Newcastle uh, when I first came back from Sydney in the, in the mid-80s who had uh, psoriasis all over his trunk. And the, the, it was the application of chickweed oil uh, that resolved the condition in that case. So I can speak with a little bit of experience on the use of chickweed products in psoriasis conditions generally. I would think 
that it might be worth your while, might be worth your while to try some infused, yeah. infused oil of chickweed on the scalp, right? Infused yeah. oil of chickweed on the scalp uh, to test, to see whether the application of it there um, demonstrates a degree of efficacy in that condition similar to what is done elsewhere when it's been topically applied. Uh, I think and, that... Yeah. Hmm. Sorry, Dennis, that's I was right. just concerned. And that's something I can get if I pop over to your... Well, you always try your local source first. Um, okay. Um, the, 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 there's good compounding pharmacists in Hamilton, but of course, yes. if, you, if you can't use it or can't obtain it, we'll, we'll happily provide it to you. Um, uh, but I would give the, I would genuinely suggest you give that a go. But again, I would say, and I say this to all listeners who are using topical applications, I say any topical application, one always does a patch test first to make yeah. sure that the use of it does not irritate or aggravate. Very rarely uh, does this occur. The other thing that I would mention is that um, as one who has a, a fascination with using old formulations from some of the older pharmacy and medical texts. Don't overlook the, um, the treatment of psoriasis uh, called up in the older editions of the Australian pharmaceutical formulary. Now, there's, one of those is very, very uh, successfully used. Admittedly, it does use a little bit of pine tar, but it's in a very nice base. And presently, I have one of my pharmacy colleagues in Sydney uh, who still uh, dabbles in, um, in pharmacy and manufacture, uh, producing some of this for me to try because I'm impressed with its history. So when you, if you go to a pharmacy, mention the Australian Pharmaceutical Formulary, the older editions, some of which are still in circulation, although I'm distressed that many of the younger pharmacists seem to not have access to these older editions. There's a mine of information in them, particularly for compounding pharmacists. But try the Try the chickweed oil first. Lovely. Thank you very much. Okay. Thank you, Anne. Thank you. On to a new RFM's Health Naturally. Dennis, weeds. We do love our weeds. We've had we some do. good ones coming up. We do. the next one you'd like to mention is one that many of us have growing in our lawns. You do. And, and hopefully from today, as a result of our quick discussion on dandelion, many of you will begin to see the value of dandelion growing around your place. Uh, listeners might be fascinated to know that the dandelion is taken much more seriously overseas and particularly in Europe and particularly in France as a food where it's actually cultivated commercially by vegetable growers. And the dandelion that they uh, cultivate is a dandelion obviously that's coming from seed uh, that has been, uh, how can you call it, developed to give very large dandelion leaves, but it's dandelion. And dandelion, the leaf of the dandelion, is popularly used uh, on the continent as a, a side salad, if you like, uh, to, to have uh, with, with meat or fish or other, other foods. In fact, this morning before coming away, I referred to that lovely little book, that well, I call it a lovely little book, by uh, dear Audrey Hatfield, How to Enjoy Your Weeds, wonderful little text. Um, and she had in her discussion in that book on dandelion a, a statement to the extent that a side salad 
from the young, tender dandelion leaves, dressed with olive oil and a squeeze of lemon juice. That then can be garnished with a sprinkling of cloves. Chives, I should say, <laughs> parsley, parsley and garlic. My 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 uh, my lips were lick, uh, moving there. <laughs> yes, but they were there's really a, the, there's to. a simple side salad. Don't throw your dandelion leaves away. Uh, use them, collect them, and do what uh, dear Audrey Hatfield said: make a lovely side salad of them. Young, tender dandelion leaves, dressed with olive oil. It would have to be olive oil, olive oil, and a squeeze of lemon juice garnished with a sprinkling of chives, parsley and garlic. There you go, listeners. You've uh, already seen something of the value of that wretched weed, which is in fact a food in many parts of the world, dandelion leaves as part of a salad, particularly at a time when you have to pay an arm and a leg to get lettuce. Think about going to your backyard and, and not digging out these weeds, as we're encouraged to do. Uh, now I'm going to be arrested for saying that. But uh, get your dandelion leaves, see them as a potential component uh, of a salad meal. Now the thing with the dandelion leaf is it's very similar in taste to endives. Now endives are available in our fruit shops and super, super, supermarkets. Not many Australians uh, eat endives. Um, in some ways, they're, they're like a lettuce, only they're much more fragile and much more stringy and very bitter. And I like the bitter taste of endives. And the bitter taste, by the way, of any food has remarkable effects on the digestive system. What are known as bitters are a group of plants, herbs and plants, which are used either for medicine or nutrition, which stimulate all of the digestive activity from the upper gut right through to the large bowel. And bitters historically have been used in our civilization as a food to do just that, to stimulate improvement in digestive function, to overcome a lot of functional conditions of the gut. And I have a particular viewpoint on this, that the reason we have so many uh, gut conditions, particularly of a functional nature, I believe has a lot to do with our failure to appreciate something that is, is cultural, that is the use, the sensible use of bitter tasting foods such as the endive, globe artichoke, and coming back to it, the dandelion leaf. The eating of the dandelion leaf as part of our, our salads made up in that simple way that Hatfield mentioned can work wonders in improving all the secretory activities of the gut. So th there is something about this remarkable uh, food. Its bitter principles could only do us good, similar in tasting to end endives, and very, very safe indeed. To a new RFM's Health Naturally with Dennis Stewart. Uh, and uh, we're talking about things in your garden and mm. um, Sally's come up with the uh, questions, things in the lawn that uh, perhaps are perceived as problems, clover and winter grass. Oh, OK. Well, I'm not really familiar with winter grass. If there were a botanical name to it, I might be able to make a comment on it. But, but clover, I know a fair amount about clover. Uh, there are two types of clover. There's what we call the white clover and the red clover. Now, 
both of those plants have very, very, they have very valuable purposes, even around our, our household, around the garden, even in the lawn. First of all, let me emphasise that clover and uh, clover, the, the, the roots of clover, put nitrogen into the ground. So they are frequently used uh, as a plant to encourage, if you like, uh, soil activity and fertility of the soil. Clover also, even around our backyards, if you like, is a valuable, a very, very valuable food for bees. In fact, um, uh, honey derived from clover is is renowned, and there are beekeepers. Um, well, if they if they still remain, there are beekeepers that have gathered honey, particularly on clover crops, in order to market their honey as being derived from clover. So, around the household, it might not be something that uh, we would promote as something we should eat. Although the literature does tell us that uh, herbal teas made on either species of the clover are useful for addressing some irritable whooping cough type conditions. I've never used the clovers for that purpose, but I come back to the point, the white clover, even around the house, should be seen as a, seen as a valuable herb and the flowering of it should be seen as an encouragement, particularly for bees. And okay, you might step on a, on, on, a, on a clover and you might get stung by a bee, but that's part of the journey. The bees love uh, clover from which they gather a valuable nectar. But the clover that is of most importance in, in herbal medicine is the red clover. And it grows more uh, more naturally than what many people think. I observe, everywhere I go, I observe what's growing around the place. I could talk about that for some time because my wife would argue that um, I, I shouldn't be around because the dangers that I've subjected the family to, driving a motor car and then suddenly looking to the side and saying, oh, there's such and such a herb there, and then seeing the car go down the gully. Um, so my herb watching or herb observing has, has allowed me to pick up where things are growing. And there's value, it's valuable to be able to do. For instance, the new roundabout there at Western uh, has been planted uh, it's a lovely roundabout, by the way, that uh, you, you can get to Western now very quickly uh, on the freeway. Then I go back and forth there frequently now. But they've planted a lot of red clover on, on, the, on the ground around the roundabout. And uh, it, it, some of it is in blossom presently, a lovely maroon-coloured flower. Now, I don't collect it uh, from there. In fact, I don't collect red clover at all because it's... It's too difficult to get. It's hard work to start with, and it's uh, imported anyway. But the red clover, the blossom of the red clover, in older herbalism was referred to, and this is quaint language, as a blood purifying herb. Now, what is meant by that? In older times, skin conditions, eczemas, dermatitis, chronic skin conditions were, were seen as saying something about the blood. In Chinese medicine, they still say the blood is too hot or the blood is toxic. Well, whichever way you look at it, red clover is still, in herbal medicine activity in the Western world at least, prescribed in a traditional way as a remedy to address chronic skin conditions. And it's very valuable. I spoke to, uh, to that dear lady frequently about herbs needing to be taken for a fair while in order to address chronic skin conditions, red clover is one of those herbs 
that would be taken over a period of time as a means of treating, if you like, what the older herbalists would see as a need to cleanse the system, to promote elimination. So there's a bit of a rave, to use the slang terminology, on, on clovers, white clover, value it, good for the soil, lovely for our bees, red clover, an important herb. You can see it growing if you look for it now. And uh, in herbal medicine, uh, the backbone of, of skin management. Well, our bees, you mention, and mm, uh, at the moment dear, they're dear. a bit under threat at the oh, moment yeah. with the varroa mite, aren't they? Well, I'm, I'm very, um, like many beekeepers, I'm very distressed about the, uh, the way in which we have finally succumbed to the varroa mite. The varroa mite has destroyed um, hives and, and the honey industry around many parts of the world. Um, they're a pest, they're a parasite, and up to this point, we have been free of Varroa. I think probably the only country in the world, I think, that has been free of that mite. And that has done wonders for our honey, and run, uh, done wonders for our queen bee, uh, bee breeders who export their, their, their bees on the basis of freedom from this mite. But unfortunately, it has now occurred, and I'm not going to dwell on it too much, but uh, the Department of Primary Industries is on the case. I've received communications from them, as have many beekeepers. They're doing a great job, a great job. Well done, fellas. The sad thing, of course, is that um, within the various zones that have been mentioned, some beekeepers have already uh, had their hives destroyed, and that's sad. That's their livelihood, That's too. their livelihood. And uh, uh, um, there is now an ongoing process of monitoring and, of course, a shutdown of the uh, the extraction or the movement of hives by all beekeepers uh, that are affected by the varroa situation, uh, a lot of a lot of follow-on effects will occur as a result of this, Jane. Yeah. Uh, suppliers of equipment, for instance, their businesses are likely to suffer also, because if locally and at this stage it is fairly localized, although uh, the effect of it here from what I understand, has led to uh, Victoria uh, um, at Queensland uh, banning the the movement of hives uh, or product from uh, New South Wales into those two states. So it's going to have flow-on effects for supplies of, 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 of bee equipment, bee products, and uh, sadly it will affect uh, many of those people that I've been encouraging, as you know, for years to, to take up beekeeping. And many of them have done, and many of them uh, will will uh, will attest to the fact that I have helped them. I've gone to their homes and set up their hives with them, and uh, encouraged them, and put them in contact with suppliers. And many of them have frequented our markets, uh, where they sell their honey direct. A wonderful way to do it. Now mm. uh, we're in trouble. Slight pause on that, and hopefully mm. it. Things will open up a little later. Look, you, you have to be confident, and the way in which our appropriate authorities have, have got on the job here, we've got to work with them, do what has to be done, and maybe we can control it. Maybe. Yes. Well, let's get back to yeah. the happy herb, a dandelion. A dandelion, okay. Let's <laughs> talk a little bit more about that because of all the herbs we've spoken about, gee, this would have to rise to the surface as probably being the most important. I spoke about its leaves as, the, uh, as a food, potentially, 
we, we Anglos have got a lot to learn from our continental friends who for years have used many of these weeds as foods. But anyway, the, the dandelion leaf is also a gentle diuretic. And so uh, many herbalists, including myself, have used dandelion leaf preparations, the tea or tablets or capsules of dandelion leaf to stimulate a gentle, mild diuresis. And it's potassium sparing. So it's a very safe uh, way of encouraging um, urinary activity. The root of dandelion is a remarkable component. And the root of the dandelion uh, is more oriented towards the treatment of conditions of the liver and the gallbladder and even the upper gut, the stomach. But in particular, the liver and gallbladder respond in magnificent ways to a treatment coming from the dandelion. Dandelion and globe artichoke, St Mary's thistle are the three primary remedies on which Western herbal medicine uh, hangs its hat for the treatment of liver and gallbladder diseases. The ongoing use of dandelion in any form is useful to maintain a healthy gallbladder secretory activity and along with other things such as olive oil perhaps explains why many people uh, living on the continent, many uh, people living around the Mediterranean do not experience many of the liver and gallbladder problems that we Anglos do who have never ever used these foods in a traditional way and harness the benefits of the dandelion in ensuring a much more healthier functioning mm. of our liver and gallbladder. So uh, that, of course, leads to it being a bit of a blood purifier too. It does. Bit, as it you does. And I, look, I, I don't retreat from that, from that term because mm. it's a useful term. Um, and wh what it does is convey in our profession the idea that, particularly in, in, in skin conditions, one must get beyond just the topical management. One must see that a lot of these diseases, from our opinion, say something about metabolic activity and the prescribing of them uh, is based along the old-fashioned lines of detoxifying remedies, blood purifying remedies, and all of our medical scientists out there are laughing their head off. But look, it's the hypothesis on which they're prescribed, which in many cases leads to many people, after taking these things for quite a few months, break out of years and years and years of chronic dermatological conditions. I don't retreat from the old terminology. So do you think we could cultivate dandelions as oh, a look, cash crop? Yes, and the thing I'd pass on here is, yes, you can. And uh, don't overlook that book that's also on our website, Growing Herbs as a Cash Crop, by Richard Allen Miller. I used that book for years in conducting seminars on cash cropping. Dandelion Leaves cultivated commercially with seed, a, a, a seed producing a, a cultivar, if you like, that produces dandelion leaf of a very, very large form, in my opinion, has a potential marketplace role, if you like, for those small cash crop growers around the place who are demonstrating their presence in our markets, selling their product from the, from the garden, from the from the, from the cash crop 
to the client and doing well. I see it in the markets, growers of, of, uh, of garlic, growers of this, the herb and that herb. Take on board this is what I've said about the dandelion. Get hold of the, the best seeds you can. Propagate some good dandelion uh, leaves. Start to use them yourself. Make a business. Excellent stuff. And How about uh, that? What an interesting program <laughs> we've had today. We'll talk about another herb, oh, I hope, next, oh, uh, I next week. But thank you, Dennis Stewart. Well done. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.